Good morning. Today, I'm really excited to talk about this. I say that every week, I know, but um, this week, I really mean it. Um, This passage, we're only going to cover like five verses. We're in a series called Hidden Treasures. We're talking about the book of Colossians, which is jam-packed full of promises and amazing uh, hidden little secrets about the character of God and who he is. And uh, so, so this morning we're going to be, um, we're going to be talking about Jesus overall, and it's going to cover the, the areas of the God of the universe. He's over everything in creation. He's over the body of Christ, which is the church, and he's over each and every one of us as individuals. Um, you know, I want to first of all start out by by talking about an epidemic that we have in our in our society. It's an epidemic. It's considered worse than obesity. It affects job productivity. It causes depression. It causes addiction. It causes um, uh, hormone stress. You know, issues and health problems. A lot of um, premature death, and and actually a high risk of suicide. And this epidemic is called loneliness. You know, I I found a lot of different studies and a lot of different polls on loneliness. And it is ubiquitous throughout our society. There there are polls, some polls say that that as much as 72% of all people say that they struggle with loneliness. And you know, here we are living in a metropolitan area and people are crowded into isolation. You know, we're, we're living in this area where you just push the button and open your garage door and you drive in and you close it and struggle with loneliness. So today, um, I want to talk about one of the secrets to curing loneliness. And that is that relationship with God, the God that is called the lover of our souls. You know, um, the Harris Pole is, is like a business type Poll, and they say that three out of four people struggle with loneliness. And 30% of all people experience loneliness at least once a week. Isn't that just tragic? And I'm sure, I mean, there are those of us in here and we've struggled with loneliness. One of the reasons that, that they say, they call um, our teens today the screenagers because, you know, they'll be on their screens and they'll, it's, this isn't just teens, um, we're all screenagers to a certain extent, but you know, on the screen, on the phone, or on the laptop, or whatever, and completely missing the people around us. And so today, I want to I want to really share about the heart of God for you and for the people around you, and the and the people that are in the body of Christ. And so, um, if you guys, uh, do you remember a lady named Janice Joplin? Anybody heard that name? <laughs> Uh, what is it? Big wheel, keep on turning. Proud Mary, keep on. Come on, sing with me. You guys all know the song. <laughs> Rolling. Anyway, Janice Joplin, she was said to be really, really, really extremely shy and withdrawn. You would never know that by her stage persona, would you? But it says that after one concert, she had, she had sung for 25,000 people. She said, I have just made love to 25,000 people, but I'm going home alone. And Michael Jackson, you know, you've heard the same about him, that he was just really, really broken and a really lonely guy. And actually, in our society, the very worst punishment that you can have is what? Solitary confinement. 
It's when you're completely isolated from the gen pop, you're completely isolated from all human contact. That is considered one of the most severe forms of, of punishment. That's like the, the worst, besides, obviously, capital punishment. But today, um, so, we, so we've covered the gospel, the good news of Jesus, um, how he has paid the price for us, and how this good news is going out all over the world, changing lives. And we're all, we have also talked about how to know God's will for your own life, how to hear God's voice and know his will for your own life. You know, that's something that I think a lot of people really, they struggle with because they want to believe that God has a purpose for them and they want to believe that God has called them to something greater than just survival. Um, But sometimes it's a little hard for us to hear God's voice. So before we get into this message, I want to just ask if you guys would um, just pray with me. so that I really speak as though speaking the very words of God. I don't ever want to misrepresent the Lord in sharing with you. So, oh, Father, I just come before you humbly, Lord. I I thank you for these people that I love so much. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to open up your word together. I thank you for the Bible. Lord, I just ask that you would... Just use this broken vessel to communicate your heart to these people that you are so crazy about. So just come and visit us with your spirit, Lord. Comfort us, instruct us, teach us, guide us, lead us, and show us your love and your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I just want to ask you if you wouldn't mind, I know you just sat down and got all, got, got all comfy, but would you mind standing as we read this passage? We're only going to read five verses, so you can, you can last. Um, I, I want to say this, and, and, and I think it was Chase that pointed out to me this week, you know, a lot of us, I, I like to have my Bible on my phone because I like to listen to it. I put my earbuds in and I listen to it. I'm an auditory learner, so for me, that really works. But, but Chase pointed out this week, he said, you know, a lot of, for a lot of people, the Bible is just another app on their phone. I just want to say, the Bible is not just an app. It is the living, breathing word of God. It is able to change, to correct, to train, to instruct, to comfort to change, to transform. And so as we, um, as we read this passage today, I just, wanted to, I just wanted us to stand in honor of the preciousness of God's holy word. So can we read this passage together? This is Colossians 1, um, verses 15 through 23. This is the New Living Translation, which I really like. So here we go. Ready? Y'all ready? Go. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him And for him, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. 
For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But, all right, yeah, we can give a shout out. That is awesome news. That is the gospel. That is the good news. But this last verse, this is our warning. It says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant or minister to proclaim it. Woo! Good news, right? All right, you can be seated. So, the first thing I want to talk about is Jesus over the universe. Jesus over everything else. It says that all things were created for him and by him. It says in John chapter 1, the the gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. All things were created in him and through him. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus, it says he himself existed before everything else. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Well, the invisible God is eternal. The invisible God has existed. He's not even inside time. We can't even wrap our brains around this. We can't wrap our brains around eternity. It's beyond our comprehension. But everything that you see when you read about Jesus, that is the character of God because Jesus himself is God right? He's not an exalted man. He's not a guy who worked his way up to perfection, or he's not just a good teacher, or he's not just like, kind of like a guru that just, you know, has a lot of really, like, you know, like Buddha or other gurus, or I guess Buddha's not a guru, but Jesus is unique because Jesus is God, the creator and the savior and the redeemer. And so, we miss this, I think, a lot of times. We, we see Jesus as kind of the sweet, you know, loving. I mean, we see him stooping down and, and talking to children and telling his disciples, no, bring the children to me. And we see this very loving, compassionate, healing, sensitive God, which Jesus is. He is very, very concerned with everything in your life, every little issue. Everything you go through, every concern, he's concerned for you. But he's also the God that went into the temple when they were selling their wares and trying to take advantage of people. He is not all about injustice. He is a very just God. And that same Jesus that was tipping over the tables of the money changers in the temple, that is the same God that created the heavens and the earth. And the reason that Jesus got ticked off was not because he didn't want people to make a living or whatever. It's because they were ripping off the people that he loved. And that Jesus does not tolerate injustice. So 
I know there's a lot of questions about that. You know, people will ask, well, how could a good God allow bad? How could a good God allow evil in the world? And we've talked about that quite a bit, about how could a good God allow us to suffer? Right? And how, how, could, how could God have stood there while I was being raped or molested or beaten? How could a good God have allowed that? And again, you know, God doesn't stand there just approving of these things. But it says in Romans that he takes those things and he turns them and uses them for his good and uses them for his glory. I love the Swindoll quote, Chuck Swindoll, who's, a, who's an awesome Bible teacher. He says, no great person has ever become great without great suffering. And if you look at the example throughout the Old Testament, the ones, all of the ones that were chosen of God and, and to be used for God's glory, they all got a promise. And then what was the, what was the thing that followed after the promise? Suffering, trials, waiting, persevering, all of these things. So if you're in the middle of something right now, don't, don't just assume God is mad at you. Or he's like, I'll be over here until you get your act together. That is not the character of our loving God. He's still that same loving God that is here stooping down to love his kids. He still loves his kids. Um, this past week on Friday night, uh, I went to, to a special dinner um, for a dear friend of mine. We're, this, we're like this. Um, his name is Jackie Chan. And uh, there are some pictures of Jackie Chan. And uh, there was the invitation, VIP dinner with Jackie Chan. And um, he says, you know, he, what he's doing is he, he's, he's trying to um, be really environmentally sound. He's trying to really go green. So he's taking all of these uh, props and things from his movies and turning them into art. And so they're having an, an exhibit at the Leonardo, and he ended up actually winning an award called the Michelangelo Award. But it was so interesting because here's this man Who's, he's very kind and very sweet and, and, you know, very endearing. I have the videos if anybody wants to see them. I have them on my phone. Um, but he says, I do small things. I try to do good things every day. If everyone does some good, think of what a good world this will be. Which is good in theory. Except that we're dealing with our selfishness and our sinful nature. All of us struggle against that. And yes, we can, actually, you know what he does? I read in the Deseret News, he will go into a public restroom and if there are paper towels in the trash, he'll pick those paper towels out and he will wash the entire bathroom. Jackie Chan, this guy's worth $350 million. But the thing about Jackie Chan is he's just a man, just like us. I mean, he had all these security guards around him and everything and I just was watching and I was just thinking, you know, it's kind, it just kind of reminded me of gaining the whole world and losing your soul. You know, and it just, I mean, to be honest, I, I just, I sat and prayed for Jackie Chan because I think he's a really, really sweet man. But he's really broken. You can see he's a broken man. And I just thought, man, I want to introduce him to the Lord of the universe I want to introduce him to the one who created this world that he's trying so desperately to save. You know? 
Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. You know, it talks a lot about this in Ephesians chapter six when it's saying, you know, we're, we're wrestling against principalities and rulers and, and God is ultimately the authority over all. He is the one, he, he doesn't necessarily want us to have wicked kings, but like throughout the Old Testament, he allowed evil kings to rule over the people, partly because they... They wanted a king besides just him. But it's in Psalm 19, one, it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. You know, when you look out at those mountains out there and you think that was just a little blip that God created, it, it was nothing for him. I mean, he created the entire universe with just a word. And it says um, on the NASA website, There was a quote, someone asked how many solar systems there are. Okay, so you know, ours is the Milky Way. And it's, the the astronomers said they have found, discovered more than 500 solar systems. But one scientist estimated that there are probably as many as 100 billion galaxies. And this is our God who created that. This is Jesus who created that. And this is the God who loves you and called you by name and is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of you, that's easier to keep track of. For others, (laughs) it's a little more rough. (laughs) But he existed before anything and he holds all creation together. In the, the shorter catechism, it says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's not ends, two things. That is one thing, is to to enjoy God forever, is to know him, to understand him. And the way we can understand him is through the Bible and through being in his presence in prayer. The The thing that Jesus intended to do was he intended to come to earth and live just like us, be human just like us, go through all the same temptations, all the suffering, everything that we experience without sinning, That's the distinction because he is God and he is perfect, right? But he came to be the Lord over his church, which is called the body of Christ. The body of Christ is comprised of people who are born again, people who believe that Jesus paid the price for their sins on the cross and that they can't earn their salvation. They can just surrender to God. That is the body of Christ. Now, there's all kinds of distinctions, different flavors, different beliefs, you know, certain different things. But the Foursquare motto, our denomination, our particular denomination says that in um, all things, well, it's, it's in essentials, unity. We have to, in the essential beliefs of the Bible, the, the indisputable things, we have to have unity. But in the non-essentials, we can have liberty, you know, differences in what people believe about certain things. For example, about baptism. Some people believe you can sprinkle. Some people believe there has to be full immersion. Some people still believe that it's a sin to dance. Some people think that it's okay, you know, um, pre-trib, if, if 
Jesus is going to take us before the tribulation or if he's going to take us in the middle or if he's going to take us afterwards. All of these things are just, they're non-essentials. They're called disputable matters in Romans chapter 14. In those things, we have to have liberty. We have to love one another whether we agree or not. Okay, there are certain things that for other Christians, you're just going to have to agree to disagree. Right? Which is fine. Because again, we have no enemies in the body of Christ. There's nobody that is against us in the body of Christ or anybody that we should be against. And I'm going I'm to show you why that is in a minute here. But again, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. We are the body of Christ. We all have our own different uh, roles and responsibilities and gifts and callings that the Lord has prepared us to do right? Every single person. And every single person has a unique calling and a unique purpose. It says, he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. It pleased God to come to earth, to come in the form of Jesus. And it says, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. And here's the thing that, that I think, this is the prayer of Jesus. I, I keep, you know, ever since my husband passed away almost three years ago, it's like, I always say, come Lord Jesus, come back, come back, Lord Jesus, hurry up. <laughs> you know, it just seems like heaven's so much closer now. And this is what Jesus is waiting for. It's in John chapter 17, 20. And Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for the body of Christ. He's praying for believers. This is before he goes to be crucified. He says, he's talking to the heavenly father. He says, I don't ask for these only, but for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What Jesus is saying here is that it is our responsibility to tell people the good news. The good news that God not only loves them, but he likes them. And he offered a way to be reconciled to him through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. And it says here, it says, that glory that you have given me, I have given to whom? to them, to us. He's given it to us that they may be one. That's why God gives us his glory so that the body of Christ can be unified. Right now, uh, there was a Barna study done and it said that only one in four people in the United States um, don't believe in God. So three out of four do, but the majority of them will never step foot in a church because they don't trust God the church. They don't trust Christians. Isn't that just tragic? We are supposed to have the reputation for being the most loving and the most gracious. Not just the reputation, but we actually are called to love people. That's what we're called to as Christians. Loving God and loving people. Loving our neighbor as ourself. That's what we're called to. And yet our reputation is one of, does anybody remember... Um, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. I, I watched that tragic documentary on them. Now, during that time, 
that was right after I had become a believer. Um, for those of you who don't know, for those of you who've heard this, I apologize, it's a rerun, but I was, I was living a very, very immoral life. I was dealing drugs and stealing and lying and promiscuous and bulimic and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus revealed himself to me and my life was transformed. Now it happened, I, I like to say I, got, I became a Christian on the installment plan. It took me a while. But once I finally made that last installment, my life was completely transformed. And during that time, I was playing piano at a Hilton hotel in a restaurant. And um, there was this one waiter that I had been sharing the Lord with. And after this whole Jim and Tammy Faye Baker thing broke, for those of you who don't know, it was this couple who... They, uh, they became like these TV evangelists and they had the Praise the Lord show and they were just raking in millions and millions and millions of dollars in the name of God. And they were like guilting people into selling their, their last, um, you know, their life insurance policies. And it was just so, it was so corrupt and just so sad but I remember this guy came up to me when this was the headline news for, for months. The Jim and Tammy Faye Baker thing was headline news. And this guy comes up to me and goes, so what do you think your boy Jim Baker now? And I said, Jim Baker's not my boy. I said, He's, that's between him and God. I said, I'm not responsible for Jim Baker. I said, I don't put my hope in Jim Baker. I don't put my hope in anyone. Because even Jesus, it says... He entrusted himself to no man, for he knew what was in their hearts, right? Jesus knows our character. He knows what we're capable of. And um, I just, I remember just feeling so embarrassed on behalf of the body of Christ, on behalf of the Christian church, because of this couple that so misrepresented God. So what ended up happening was they made all this money and then it found out, uh, they found out that they had made all kinds of promises that they couldn't keep and so they got in all kinds of financial problems and there were many charges leveled against Jim Baker. So he ended up going to prison. Well, several years later at our Foursquare District Pastors Conference, Jim Baker came and spoke. And, and to be honest, all of us were kind of like, oh boy, like, why are they having, we were all being judgmental. But when Jim Baker started talking, first thing he said was, I need to ask for forgiveness. He said, because I have made things so difficult for you. And this was a room full of pastors. He said, I know that I've hurt you. And I know that my actions devastated you and devastated your ministries. And he said, and I am so sorry. I mean, he was saying this through tears and I, I really believe that he was sincere. What had happened was when he went to prison, they gave him a Bible. And he said that for the first time in his life, he actually started reading the Bible. And he read it over and over and over and over and over. He said he read it like five times a year just kept reading it. And he said that as he was reading it, it was transforming him. It was transforming his heart and his spirit. And he became so convicted and he saw that what he had done had been so, so devastating to the body of Christ and so divisive. And so he came and he just repented and he apologized to all of these pastors. And he just basically said, I know I don't deserve to be standing in front of you. He said, but I, I am here to offer you the hope 
that comes through the cleansing power of the word of God. So that was pretty cool. So Jesus is, can be over us too, because it says here, this is our condition. It says in, in um, Colossians 1.21, it says, includes you who were once far away from God. Anybody? It says, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. The English Standard Version says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Again, remember we talked about this last week. There are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of of God and the kingdom of the evil one, the enemy of our souls. There's no gray area. There's no, well, I have my own kingdom, either you know, the Bible, the Bible says clearly, Jesus says that, that if you obey me, if you follow me, if you believe in me and serve me, then you are part of the kingdom of heaven. But if not, you are part of the kingdom of the father of all lies, the evil one. And it says, you used to live in sin. This is Ephesians chapter two. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of all of those who refuse to obey God. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see his glorious light of the good news, of the gospel. It says they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's our Jesus. That's our God. That's our Savior. It's, he, he's a God of light. In him, there is no darkness at all. It says there is no flaw in him. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's always for us. He is always on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Even the evil one. And even if we, if we suffer, even if we go through hard times, God is always at work, for our good and for our benefit. He's a good, good father. He's a perfect father. And it says he's the father to the fatherless. He's perfect in all of his ways. So I want to ask you this. So I'm reading this. If you're sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm a sinner. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I've done a lot of good stuff. Right? Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Do not incriminate yourself. <laughs> Because I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, you know, oftentimes when, when there's a significant life change, the pendulum swings way too far the other way. Well, that was kind of what happened with me. So here I go from this really raucous, horrible, just terrible lifestyle all the way to the other side where I became like a Pharisee. You know, I was judging everyone else. And, you know, I was, I thought I was, you know, I had this deeper insight and I was just, I was just confused. I was just, I mean, I was such a baby, baby, baby Christian that I, but I thought that I knew everything. And I, it, I remember hearing the first time that somebody talked about that passage out of Romans where it says, there's no one righteous, no one who seeks after God. There's no one good. I remember going, I was so offended by that because I thought I was a pretty good person. I mean, I was starting to serve and I was starting to do all these things and I wasn't doing the things that I used to do. Kind of gradually that happened. <laughs> but it was just so offensive to me to think, what, what do you mean I'm a sinner? So there's a, there's a litmus test that you can take. It's out of the Bible. It's out of 
the book of Exodus, and it's called the Ten Commandments. Okay, these are not called the Ten Suggestions. These are called the Ten Commandments. Every single one of us gets disqualified on the first one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody do that? You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love other people just as much as you love yourself? Anybody? See, we're all disqualified on the first one. But in case you're not convinced, you're like, yeah, I do love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbors myself. Okay, then, have you ever made an idol? Have you ever thought about something or worshiped something, including money, a relationship, um, a possession? Have you ever thought about that more than you think about God? Disqualification number two. Have you ever misused the Lord's name? Do you keep the Sabbath day holy? Do you keep a Sabbath? Do you have a Sabbath? This is one of my little little soapboxes because I know that the only reason that I can stand here today, the only reason I'm still in ministry after all these years is because of the Sabbath. Every Monday, I take a Sabbath. So I've told people you're not allowed to call me or text me or email me or die. Please don't die on a Monday because that's really inconvenient. <laughs> Are you guys offended by me? <laughs> can be honest. Um, but Monday is my day where I don't, I, I, I don't do any work. I just, I rest. I get refreshed in the Lord. And I know some of you don't have that, that freedom because you work Monday through Friday, but take a Sabbath, take 24 hours. You can go from four o'clock to four o'clock. Friday night, like they do, like the Israelites, they go from four o'clock to four o'clock, four o'clock Friday night to four o'clock Saturday. They don't do any work. They prepare all their food in advance. And I don't get like legalistic about it or whatever, but it is so important for us to rest every seven days to rest and to take a day off. I've told you guys this story before, a a guy who was remodeling our house in California. um, My husband said, hey, you're going to come with us to church tomorrow? And he goes, oh, no, I've got too much to do. And my husband goes, oh, you must want to get behind. Because he wasn't honoring the Sabbath. Okay, so honor your parents. Anybody ever sass their parents? Anybody ever say something dishonoring to their parents? Anybody do it this morning? (laughs) Anybody? Okay, we're disqualified there. How about killing? Anybody killed anybody? I'm looking. Okay, remember you take it a step further. Jesus is like, but even if you're angry with someone, you're guilty of the sin of murder. Anybody ever been mad at anybody else? Anybody? Ira, really? Was it me? Anybody committed adultery? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Remember Jesus said, if you even look at somebody with a desire to sleep with them or think evil thoughts about them, that is the same as committing adultery. That includes porn. It includes all forms of lust. And, you know, a lot of times wives will come to me and they'll say, well, I have grounds for divorce because my husband looked at porn. And I'm like, well, were you angry? (laughs) And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, then you're guilty of the sin of murder. So you don't have grounds for divorce. Okay, moving on. Anybody ever stolen anything? 
cheated on your taxes, didn't give the correct change back, didn't, you know, got anybody? Yeah, ouch. Anybody ever lie? <laughs> Bible says all men are liars, right? That excludes the women. So <laughs> all men are liars. <laughs> this includes exaggerating. This includes um, uh, omitting information that should be communicated, lying of all sorts. Anybody ever coveted? You ever envied something someone else had, their car, their marriage, their, their house, their kids, their dog, anything? Anybody ever wish they had something that someone else had? You see, it's so easy for us to look at this and say, yes, I have sinned. I have fallen short of the perfection of God. Isn't it? No matter how much in your heart you want to be good and you want to do good and you want to, you, you know, you want to please God, all of us have sinned. That's what it says in Romans. Every one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it, and it says that the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. The only hope that we have for salvation is to receive the forgiveness that he offered us on the cross. We cannot save ourselves. You can't do enough good things. You can't give enough money to the poor. You can't do anything to reconcile yourself to God while you still have sin. Because he's a perfect God. He cannot stand in the presence of sin. And it's not because he's mean. It's because he is perfect and he's holy. And it says, yet. This is Colossians 1.22. It's saying all these things, you've done this and you've been like this and you've been like this. And it says, yet. That is a big word right there. Yet. Now. He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Woo! That is good news. He's reconciled us to himself. As a result, he's brought us into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You can stand before him in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. And he looks at you, if you've received the forgiveness that Jesus offered, he looks at you as blameless and innocent and holy and perfect. Because on the judgment day, when we stand before God, there are going to be two ways we can be judged. Either we can stand before God and say, I've lived a perfect life. I never sinned. I did everything right. <laughs> it's still your turn. <laughs> or you can point to the cross and say, I believe that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, who was God himself and still is, took the burden, took the penalty for our sins and was nailed to a cross. He was beaten to the point of not even being recognizable. And he suffered and he bled for you and for me. And that's the good news. It's not good news, oh, you have to work harder, try harder, do more things, do more. That is not good news. That is a hopeless, hopeless life. But thanks be to God. He has paid the penalty. We are free. Jesus came to set us free. 
And that is why I tell you week and week and week after, after week, spend time in his presence. He has offered you this opportunity to be brought into his presence. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to love you. Hang out and just listen to you, which is called prayer. He wants to pour out his love over you. He wants to speak to you as you read the Bible. I'm telling you guys, it is the cure-all. I, I don't mean to diminish. I know that there are mental illnesses and I know that there are chemical imbalances and all of that. But for the most part, if you are really seeking after God and walking with the Lord and, and being grateful, that is a mood changer. Let me tell you. With everything that I've been through in the last three years, God's word has been my substance. It's been my daily bread. And he wants to encourage you and encourage us as the body of Christ. Because you can't love other people except through the Holy Spirit. You really can't. It's not, it's not you can kind of have an affection for them and kind of like them. But real love, what does the Bible say? Is that you'd lay down your life for them. And, and, and it says in Romans, it says, you know, very few people would die even for a righteous person. But while we were yet sinners, while we were objects of God's wrath, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Yes. Jesus doesn't change you in order to love you. Jesus loves you in order to change you. Okay? Jesus doesn't change you in order to love you. He loves you in order to change you. And we need changing, don't we? Anybody else selfish? Anybody else break any of those Ten Commandments? <laughs> Colossians 1.23 says, You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. You must continue to believe this. I think sometimes, you know, especially if we've been Christians for, for any length of time, we just start to doubt. We start to lose that awe of having been forgiven. And we start to, to waver. We start to think, oh, maybe God's mad at me because I haven't done enough or whatever. That is not God. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. He will convict us because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us. But he is the God of love and his kindness leads us to repentance. And you will never be able to move on with the Lord. This is what Jimmy Evans says. You will never be able to move on with the Lord until you are able to thank God for who you are today. So if you can thank God for who you are today and understand that it is not by your works that you're saved. It is by grace we've been saved through faith not of our own works. So no one can boast. No one can say, hey, I've pretty much gotten it all down. I've done everything right. Nobody can say that. But we can always point to Jesus and say, Jesus is over all. Jesus has done it all. And so if you're a child of God, you don't have to keep trying to prove to him that you're his child. Just surrender. Just give up. Just allow him to pour out his love on you and receive that forgiveness even today. The name of Jesus, it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, he's kurios, he is the God over all. 
over the universe, over the body of Christ, and over us as individuals.